Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. Today we are so excited to welcome onto the show a new guest who's going to help us empaths focus on self-care through decluttering. Denise, would you like to tell us about our guest? I would love to. Carrie Richardson is a lifestyle designer, trained coach, and the best-selling author of What Your Clutter Is Trying to Tell You. She's worked with thousands of people, helping them to use their blocks as stepping stones to living their best lives. Through her signature clutter-clearing readings, she helps people discover the real reason they struggle to let go of physical and emotional clutter and how to stop the self-sabotage. You can learn more at carryrichardson.com. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. We're so excited to have you because I think this is such an important topic for empaths in particular. Do you agree mm -hmm. that empaths who tend to feel other people's emotions and try to rush in and fix and help and save everyone, do they tend to have a stronger issue with clutter than the average person? They do. You know, as an empath myself, I can, you perfectly described me. I want to rush in and help everybody and save the world and, you know, help people from feeling difficult emotions. And so what I find is that empaths tend to have more relationship clutter. Um, they have, you know, we have trouble setting boundaries. Uh, and so when you struggle to set boundaries, clutter is going to erupt in your life, whether it's in relationships, emotional or physical, because if you are more concerned or consumed with helping everyone and trying to kind of heal the world, you don't leave a lot of energy in the tank for yourself and your own life. And so, you know, physical clutter in your home, I call like a temper tantrum of the soul. And so if you find that physical clutter is erupting in your house, it's like your soul's trying to get your attention of like, hey, could you pause for a second and take care of yourself for a little bit instead of worrying about everybody else? I love that. And that, that was one of the quotes that I wrote down from your book was that the combination of listening more deeply to what your soul is telling you is taking small steps to show there's nothing to be afraid of. Mm -hmm. That's keys to clearing the clutter that keeps you stuck. And when I did the exercise at the first chapter, and that's what's really cool about your book is that you you give usable practice in each chapter, mm -hmm. which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And what I thought was a buffer zone for other things when I did that exercise, it really came back to old fear-based shit yeah. that, that I was hanging on to. And, mm -hmm. but, I, but it was also very motivating to say, okay, I thought I'd work through that. Obviously, I haven't. Um, yeah. And you, and you may have worked through some of it. Like that's kind of the cool thing that clutter can help us see is that, you know, there are many layers of shit to work through. Right. Not just the top layer, but it's good to remember instead of kind of going to the, God, I thought I had handled this and I didn't reminding yourself like, you know what? I actually handled some of it. That's why I'm up against this part now. So it's great to still see the progress. It's like a spiritual evolution, right? With every layer you peel back. Um, you get to just go deeper and learn more and more about yourself. Well, tell us how you got started focusing on clutter as a metaphor and an actual object that's blocking our path to manifesting our goals. Yeah, so I've been doing life coaching, traditional life coaching for about 15 years now. And, you know, I didn't start off with the clutter focus. I started off as a traditional life coach, right? I was just helping people redesign their lives. They were here. They wanted to be there. I wanted to help them get there, but find out what was really stopping them, what was really behind the self-sabotage. And, you know, the concepts in life coaching can be pretty 
intangible and ambiguous and hard to really wrap your head around. Uh, so as a way to help people see uh, that whatever is standing in their way um, is, you can handle it, you can clear it. I started to frame it in the, in the context of clutter. So after years of coaching people, I found that there are these real common threads that rumble underneath every form of self-sabotage. And so when I started to talk to people about, you know, think of it as just like clutter in your brain or think of it as like clutter in your soul, then it just naturally that word, right, triggers people's physical clutter thoughts because people think clutter is just physical. So that ended up being um, a really great doorway to help people dig deeper from a place that they could access and understand. So it's that whole idea of, you know, sneaking the spinach in the brownies, right? So they're coming to me because they want their office cleaned up, let's say. So, you know, I want to help them get their office cleaned up. So that's the brownies. Let me give them what they want. They want the brownies. But let's find out what kind of money beliefs are sabotaging the condition of their office. What fears of success are going on underneath the messy office? That's the spinach I sneak in. Um, so the physical clutter is just a doorway into what's really going on. So that's how my work and my practice kind of evolved over time, where I started to teach these online courses, helping people to see their clutter as more than just stuff, and instead as a real messenger of, of a deeper lesson. That's incredible. And you yeah. list in your book three common causes of clutter. And yes. two of them, I, I nailed it. I, I could have written the chapter one. It was so. If you could talk about that a little bit, I think that would be a really great asset for yeah. our listeners. Yeah, sure. So through my years of work, I've I've recognized that there really are three common core causes of clutter, and again, any clutter. So it's unrealistic expectations, limiting beliefs, and the need for boundaries. And so anything that my clients came to me with that was preventing them from getting to where they wanted to be, one of those three was standing in the way, was at the source of it. So, you know, when I work with people, I'm kind of a bottom liner because I do have, um, I work with my intuition as well. So being intuitive, I, I can kind of like cut through the BS pretty quickly. And, um, <laughs> and I'm just, uh, you know, I'm the youngest of seven kids. So if you wanted to get any airtime in my house, you had to speak in bullet points. So <laughs> I just... I just cut right down to the, you know, I, I like, I move the story aside and that's, you know, I call them clutter readings. When people come to me, I'm like, tell me where you're stuck. I'll tell you what's really going on. Um, and so it's those three causes, the, the limiting beliefs, lack of boundaries and unrealistic expectations are underneath it. Unrealistic expectations is like, you know what, as soon as I have a free weekend, I'm going to clean out my garage. So that's an unrealistic expectation on a couple different reasons. So because that job feels so big and intimidating, you're going to make sure that you never have a free weekend because that's how you've told yourself that you want to spend it. So your resistance, your fear, who is afraid of anything outside of how you're living right now is going to arrange your life in a way that you never have a free weekend. Uh, instead, if you make your expectations realistic, like this Saturday, I'm going to spend an hour in the garage starting to get organized. Your resistance can see a light at the end of that tunnel. It's like, oh, one hour? Okay, um, it's not a life sentence. We're just doing a little bit. So this is the power of getting good at getting started. You know, we, we always worry so much about 
when is this job ever going to be done? This feels too overwhelming. It's, I'm never going to be finished. The, the best way, the best and only way to finish anything is to get good at getting started. So make a habit of being really great at starting something. Don't worry about the finishing because that's inevitably going to happen the more you start. So that's unrealistic expectations of being really realistic. You do that not only from a um, logistical standpoint to help yourself get rolling, but also it's like you're taking your fear's hand and saying, come on, kiddo, we're going to do this one little step at a time. You're going to be safe with me as we change things up here. Um, it brings your resistance and your fear on as a partner instead of dragging her kicking and screaming into something she doesn't want to do. <laughs> That's really powerful. Um, limiting beliefs, uh, just as it sounds. So limiting beliefs are stories we tell ourselves that we you know, wrote when we were very young. And so limiting beliefs will prevent us from getting started. Limiting beliefs, I say, is the, our inner critic or our fear, our resistance, whatever you want to call it, is the voice of our limiting beliefs. So when she says, like, who do you think you are? There's no way you can do that. What do you know? She's voicing what essentially is our deep-seated belief. Um, so instead of fighting against what she says, listen closely to what she's saying because she's giving you clues to the beliefs that you've outgrown and that it's time to work on or flip. Um, so limiting beliefs are going to keep you from clearing any kind of clutter because it's going to tell you things like, you know, you never finish what you start. Um, you're just a disorganized, messy person. You don't have what it takes. All of those limiting beliefs. And then also, you know, a limiting belief can be, I'm not going to set boundaries with the toxic people in my life because if I, if I ask for what I need, people will leave. Like that's an example of a limiting belief that's going to prevent you from setting those boundaries. So limiting beliefs and boundaries really kind of do the tango together. Like they dance together. Um, so having a lack of boundaries in your life, which is the third common core cause, is just that. You are going to overextend yourself. And as empaths, this is what we do. You're going to overextend yourself for others uh, in a way to what, whatever it is. Like one of my belief systems is, you know, you have to really be indispensable to people in order for them to like you, love you, or stick around. So I am the go-to person in, in the, for the people in my life for anything and everything. There's a piece of me that really loves that and gets jazzed about it. There's another piece of me that gets really pissed off and resentful. But I'm setting myself up in that way. So by not having boundaries with people is a really clever way to keep us small. If we fear stepping out bigger in the world, Clutter is a fantastic scapegoat, and we're going to not set boundaries with people so we don't have the energy or time to put into opening up the space in our own life for abundance. So that's kind of like a summary of the three. Okay, I have an example because I actually helped my friend clean out her garage this weekend, and I'd love for you to tell me what her what top three? Is it limiting belief, boundary, or unrealistic expectation? So mm -hmm. she's getting ready to move and her husband is on her case because she won't get rid of anything. And in mm -hmm. her garage, she's got all this stuff. And I'm like, well, you can sell that. You don't need you know, three of these or four of that. And, and she said, my husband says, I'm like a hoarder. I won't get rid of anything. It's not that. I'm just frugal. And I know that at some point, 
this extra pan will have a use or I can sell these clothes. And I couldn't get through to her to clean out some of that clutter. So what do you think mm-hmm. someone who says, I'm holding on to this because I'm frugal and I know there'll be a use for this down the future, is that an yeah. unrealistic expectation or a limited belief? It's, most, it's more likely a limiting belief. And so there's a couple things there. So this whole idea of, I call it, I might need this someday syndrome. Um, so people are like, but I might need this someday. This could have a good use. So part of that, the first part of that I would say is I would want her to look at her belief in herself. Can she, can, how much does she trust herself? How much does she believe in herself? So if someone says, I might need this someday, I'll ask them, okay, let's fast forward to that someday. And let's imagine you had gotten rid of that item. That time came when you needed it. Tell me how you would handle that situation without the item. And once they start to say, well, I don't know, I guess I would just find a different way to do it. Or I would borrow one from someone, or maybe I would have to buy a new one. It's like, okay, so was that so difficult? So it's not about the item and I might need this someday. It's do I trust myself to be able to handle a situation that throws me a curveball? Right. So there's going to be, it's, it's deeper than that. So that it's going to be a belief system of, um, yeah, can I navigate a situation where I have, I don't have all of the resources that I need at my fingertips? Can I trust myself to figure it out? That's one piece of it. The other piece of it, and I have a client that I've worked with in the past who, you know, she'll say similar things, but I know I could get top dollar for this, or I know this could be of real use maybe in the future. And after, several coaching sessions, what we've really unpacked is if she goes ahead and gets rid of that clutter that she's struggling to let go of, then she will have the energy, time, and bandwidth available to put toward the business that she wants to start. So because starting that business, while it feels exciting in theory, feels terrifying in action. So she's going to keep her focus on selling these items because it's a great excuse to not have to focus on the business. So I would encourage your friend, this is, this is one thing with procrastination. When people tell me they tend to procrastinate, it's never, almost never, the action step that you think you're procrastinating on. It's the one that comes after it. Okay. So if she's procrastinating on getting rid of stuff in her garage, let's say, my question would be, let's imagine the garage is all cleared out what comes next? That's what she's really procrastinating on. Right. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Now, I think I'm kind of the antithesis to clutter. Like I'm, I'm not Zen, but I don't hold on to stuff at all. Mm -hmm. However, I hold on to stuff in my head. Yeah. Like if you were to ask me, uh, name 10 things your mom did that was hurtful. I'd be like, okay, do you want to start when I was three, five, seven, or last (laughs) Yeah. And I could tell you dates, times, what I was wearing. What kind of clutter is that? So that's both mental and emotional clutter. So mental clutter is pretty easy to clear because it really is just noise in your head. It's just thoughts um, that are occupying your mind. So when I want to do a quick clear of mental clutter, because that allows you to get to the deeper stuff, which would be the emotional clutter, I'll do what I call a mind dump. So when my head is racing or I can't seem to focus, um, I'll just take pen to paper. Old school is best, I find. The keyboard doesn't seem to do it for me. Um, Pen to paper, and I will spend about five minutes just dumping everything that's on my mind onto that page. I'm not making a to-do list. 
I am just emptying the brain. Our brain is a brilliant computer, but we use it as a container, right? So like any other hard drive, if you load it down with too many files, the processing speed is going to drag. So let's empty that hard drive. So then we, the brain can get back to what its real job is. It's a brilliant, resourceful, solution-making machine, and it allows you to dig deeper into things. So once you do the mind dump, the mental clutter is now cleared. Now that's a regular practice, so that's cleared. So then you can, you, you'll be able to move from your head to your heart much more easily because there's not all of these thoughts that are blocking the roads, right? You've now cleared them, gates are open, cars are moved, you can now get to the deeper stuff. The deeper stuff is the, the pain um, of all of these comments from your mom, um, all of these experiences with your mom that you can then dig deeper into and be like, okay, what of these situations, what type of attention or healing do these situations still need? So when there's several situations like that, I encourage you to take it as like a lot, you know, think of like an auction when they sell things in lots instead of one-offs, take it as a lot because what this lot is, is a series of comments or experiences with your mom that are hurtful. And so my sense would be that the healing that really needs to happen is grieving the loss of the mother you would love to have, even if you love your mother, if she doesn't support you in the way that serves you best, it's not the type of um, relationship you would like to have with, uh, with a mother. So it's grieving the loss of the relationship you would love to have at the same time you're learning to meet your mother where she's at and having, again, realistic expectations of what she can provide to you in the relationship, right? It's, it's that whole concept of don't go to the hardware store for milk. If you need emotional kind of support that your mother can't give you, then you don't go to her. You go someplace else. Otherwise you're going to the hardware store for milk. Right. So that comes down to self mothering. And if you mm -hmm. look at the other example, it comes down to self love in many ways. It yes. feels like all of this comes down to self love. It all comes down to that. That's really it. Like, you know, when I talk with people about clearing the obstacles in their life, so some of the main tenets are it's a no shame game and it's approaching it with love, compassion, gentle kindness toward yourself. Too often we say, God, what is wrong with me? I promised myself I was going to organize my desk today. And once again, I didn't. Longstanding change never comes from a self punitive place. It doesn't. We cannot beat ourselves into happiness. So it has to come from a place of understanding and love and patience and compassion. That's why, you know, a lot of kind of quote experts out there will say, pay no attention to the monkey mind, push through it, shove it aside, suck it up and do it. I go the exact opposite. It's like, listen, if my mind is chattering about something, there's something there to learn. I'm not going to let her run the show, but I'm going to say, Hey kiddo, what's up? What's going on? And I'm going to listen to what it has to say, because no matter what, your inner critic messages are strip away the wording and it all comes down to i'm afraid this is new territory will i be safe so approaching it from that place of self-love compassion and kindness i'll tell you is the successful formula for clearing any obstacles on that trail you want to blaze i'm going to kind of backtrack a little bit 
-hmm. when you were talking about releasing things and some of us have a strong history with financial difficulty. And so mm -hmm. we have that mindset of, I have to hang on to this, or I might have a use for it, or what if I can't replace it? So we're going to that deeper level with that. But when I, I applied, I, because I read your book, and then I thought, all right, I'm going to give this shit a whirl and see if it actually works. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I did the uh, Pomodoro technique to clean out some old clothes. Mm -hmm. And I came across all of these. I used to work in a, a technical high school, and I had all these sweatshirts, and they had the name of my program and the date on it. And I thought, why am I holding on to that? Because I'm not that person anymore. And every mm. time I would see those dates, some of them would flash me back to some really pretty painful shit that happened during that time. So yeah. I think right now during this, you're so spot on with this needing to happen at this time frame that we're all on the planet because mm. so many of us have outgrown who we are and we're trying yeah. to figure out how do I step into who I'm becoming. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah, especially right now in the world, it's just, we really are in such a powerful transformational time. Difficult, yes, but, you know, really significant spiritual graduations, you know, often come with difficulty, with challenges like this. So holding on to those items that represent a previous chapter in your life, um, you know, like you said, because some of them represent some painful times, they are essentially tethering you to your past and not allowing you to step fully into your next chapter. And so you want to process whatever needs to be processed around those items. And sometimes there is no quote processing needed. Sometimes the processing is just getting rid of it and being right. just like ripping off a bandaid. It's like, you know what? I'm just going to get rid of this. Like that's a previous part of my life. I don't need to hang on to it anymore because it literally doesn't fit me anymore. Um, so I would want you to look at what is the, what is really behind the fear or maybe the hesitancy to let go of those things that represent a previous chapter? My hunch is it, it, it is, again, it's that safety net that's um, preventing you from stepping fully into the next chapter because that feels scary. You're exactly spot on with that. Yeah. How much of this do you think is lack of self-love and care and how much of this is habit? You know, it's interesting because habits um, habits come from belief systems, so it's both. <laughs> so um, habits are a manifestation of what we think of ourselves, the instruction manual we, we wrote for ourselves when we were very young. We're going to form habits to validate our belief systems because beliefs without validation crumble, right? And so that's what we need right now, and that's what so many of us are kind of being forced to do at this time is we're coming face to face with beliefs that we have outgrown and that we cannot turn a blind eye to anymore. And so as we, this is the difference between working on the symptom versus the source. The symptom is the habit. The source is the belief that's driving that habit. When you work on flipping the, the way that you think about how something should be done, about how something should go, about how, what kind of hand you've been dealt, et cetera, you will change your behavior. So this is, you know, um, my next book comes out in December and it's called From Clutter to Clarity, Clean Up Your Mindset to Clear Out Your Clutter. The approach in that book is all mindset first, behavior second, um, and how that works. My first book is a lot of behavior first to uncover the mindset that's behind it. 
So when we look at the beliefs that are no longer serving us, so I know that, you know, my belief that I have to throw on the cape and swoop out and save everybody is not serving me anymore because it is making me neglect myself. I need to retrain myself to believe people will love me even if I don't save them. And I have to work on believing that. The best way to believe a new thought like that is to give it evidence, to prove it right. So for me, that will mean if someone asks me, could you do this favor for me? I say, gosh, I'm sorry, but I'm not available. So I am challenging my old belief that says, you better stop everything you're doing and go help them. Otherwise, they won't love you. So I'm challenging that old belief, which dismantles it, while I'm also validating the new belief that I don't have to earn love. So a habit, some may call me wanting to jump up and rescue everyone. Oh, that's just a habit of yours. It's really not a habit of mine. It's a, it's a, um, a demonstration of a belief. So whatever habit you have that isn't serving you, you might be a procrastinator, etc. cetera, uh, look at what is, what's the engine behind that habit and look at fine-tuning the engine and then your behavior will change. So important and can be really hard. That's something I've been struggling with these five months in quarantine or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call this self, mm-hmm. this societal uh, isolation we've been going through. I'm the mom of three teenage girls and mm. I feel like all I do is listen to their complaints mm. and I want to be there for them. And they have a lot to complain about. You know, a lot has been taken from them and they're having a hard time with online schooling. But every time yeah. I try to switch that habit, that behavioral mindset of, I hate distance learning, my teachers are awful, I end up sounding like some 1950s cheerleader. You know, come on, girls, mm-hmm. it's not so bad. We're all healthy. And then they just mm-hmm. roll their eyes. You know, so what would you suggest to parents who are trying to be an example for their kids when you can see this habitual pattern behavior setting in of, I'm just going to wake up and complain today. Yeah. So I think that, you know, there's something really powerful in being able to hold space for your kids to express their feelings. Now they haven't been as conditioned to stuff their emotions um, as they haven't had, had enough time, enough time on the planet, as much time on the planet. Right. So there's a couple different things. I mean, you might consider, um, having like a daily venting hour, you know? So it's like, all right, you know what? Anything you want to complain about, write it down. And let's just come together for a beer at my house. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, let's come together for a bitch session. Okay. That's dinner at your house. Um, But the, the other thing is as you're, you know, especially with teenagers, right? If they are complaining, venting, um, the best thing I think you can do for them is to hold space for them. Now, that doesn't mean we want your whole day occupied with holding space while they vent, um, but just a, yeah, you know, I think it must be really tough. I get that. Like, really, they just want to be heard. As soon as you go to, come on, guys, you know, you're healthy. This is good. The, the message that other people get is, I don't want to hear it. Please be quiet. Um, zip it. You know, it's kind of like when you go to a friend and you just want to vent and they start offering all of this advice and you're like, oh, my oh God, it's the I worst. Just- it's the worst, right? Because what's happening is the message you're getting is, I don't care about your feelings, essentially. I don't want to hear them. I don't want to hold space for them. You don't matter enough to me for me to hold space for you. Or I'm uncomfortable because you're uncomfortable. So let me try to nip this in the bud so we can both move on with our lives. It's like 
the, you know, well, again, while I don't want you spending your whole day listening to your children complain, there is something about just holding space for them and going, yeah, I get it. That sucks. I can't imagine how difficult that must be. I'm so sorry. Okay. And just end it there. Because what I've been doing is listening to them vent and then either cheering them out of it or trying to fix it. Well, I'll email your teacher and see if she can extend that deadline, which is Mm -mm. not the best response. So just listen. And just listen. Yeah, because your, your impetus to email the teacher and extend the deadline, of course, right? You're a mom. So you, want, you don't want your kids to suffer. You don't want them to struggle. Um, but th- stop and think about what lessons are they learning in this struggle? What life lessons are they going to be taking from this difficult time that will help them in the future? And then also, I want you to look at, can you be with the discomfort that comes from seeing your children struggle? No. Yeah, but I can and fake so, it. <laughs> then fake it. Then fake it. Like just, I'm so, so, God, that really sucks. And then you can go into your room or wherever and be like, oh my God, I just want to fix it for them. I just want to save them. You're not doing them any favors. All, you know, all, all you're doing is reinforcing learned helplessness. And yes. that's not going to serve them in the future. So yes, suck it up, hold it for them, s- sympathize, empathize, and then walk away and be frustrated that you, I just want to rescue them, but it's not. I mean, you, they have to figure out this stuff on their own. Yeah, I totally agree. I, it's the hardest part of parenting for me. Yeah. Okay, I have, I have like just a superficial question. Yeah. As the youngest of seven kids, did you grow up with clutter or was your mom super organized? No, she was um, neither really. So we, it was, um, so it was not a super organized house, but it wasn't a clutter filled house. Now, having said that, Yes, when I think back, just the sheer volume of stuff with nine people in a house, um, even though it was a good-sized house, there's just going to be a lot of stuff. So I do remember, like, you know, I would go into the hall closet to get my shoes where everyone kept their shoes, and it was a literal mountain of shoes. (laughs) It was was not lined up, and it was like, so you would be digging through it going, oh, there's that game piece I've been looking for. You know, so you just... um, (laughs) Yeah. So, or like the shelves, like there was, I remember there were these shelves in the dining room, like kind of built into the wall, these small shelves around like what would be the chair rail. And they just had a lot of like knickknacks and stuff. And so then kids stuff would end up on there. So there was, um, it was tough to find your own stuff because of the sheer number of people. Uh, and it was hard to claim space that was just yours. So in that regard, yes, it was like, gosh, I just want to be able to easily find things. So I didn't live in a cluttered house. I lived in a, a just a house. busy, a people house, right? And stuff. So now, right? So now transforms. So that was a, you know, six bedroom, two bath house where it was just a lot of people and a lot of stuff. Now here I am in a 240 square foot tiny house <laughs> um, where everything has its place. I mean, believe me, it's not neurotic. If you were to see it right now, you'd see that I have piles of stuff, but I can find things easily. So it is the antithesis of what I grew up in from a size difference, but also there's no, where are the scissors? Where is the scotch tape? I know exactly where they are because there's not many places it could be. (laughs) Do you live in one of those super cool tiny houses I see on Pinterest? Yep. Wow. I do. That is so cool. (laughs) Yeah, 240 square feet, which is... You know, someone's bedroom, living room, but it's kitchen, bathroom, bedroom, living room, slash guest room, slash office. Um, Yeah. (laughs) 
That is really, really neat. Yeah, I think it would be so hard with seven kids. I mean, I have yeah. three and it's hard. I had, yeah. this was like the coolest thing I did and it didn't work out. But you know, like the space under the stairs, I mm -hmm. had someone to break that down and put three built-in drawers. And mm. so when the kids come in, they put, they're supposed to pull out their drawer and dump their shoes. Smart. And then they're always put away. But does it work that way? No, you pull out any drawer and there could be shoes that no one fits in anymore. There could be winter shoes. Mm. I always box all my clothes up by season. So like winter clothes and winter shoes are always put up in storage. My kids mm -hmm. don't follow that. It drives me insane. So I feel your mom with the shoes. Yeah. It's just, it's, I mean, there's only so much kids are going to do, right? Like, you know, the best yeah, of intentions. But because I can't tell you how many times that closet was cleaned out and organized and then we're just it was a habit right would open the door and would just throw the shoes <laughs> exactly well, i have a question to go kind of in a different direction is mm -hmm. so creative people and we tend to hoard things like oh i can't throw away this one onyx earring because i can repurpose it or oh i'm going to use all these craft supplies or this is beautiful wool and we it may be organized it may be nice but in some respects it holds us stuck also you can find places to donate and i've done that over and over again i'm talking mm -hmm. about those little stray things really but then yes. that really ties in with morally i can't just throw things in a landfill i can't mm -hmm. just bag up old stuff and throw it in the landfill i have to either repurpose it or reuse it or recycle it and i think especially during these times where there are limitations on that how can we work around that so we don't hang on to every stray earring that we're going to make into this and we're going to felt that and we're going to have because that can be a whole uh shit storm too oh yeah oh totally yeah i mean craft supplies creative supplies that kind of stuff get out of hand fast um and so again i would just want people to dig deeper and go because i get it believe me i am like anti-landfill i drive people crazy i recycle the toilet paper tube like me i recycle too. Yeah, right? Like, doesn't everybody? Like, and I'm like, they don't. Crazy. Um, but yeah, so it's like, I don't, anything that I can save from the trash is saved from the trash, but that doesn't mean I'm keeping little bits and bobs. And so it's, you know, can someone use this? So that single earring or that, you know, those five buttons or whatever, um, there's always going to be some place that you can send them to, you know, some arts and crafts pr program at a school, et cetera. So yes, there are places to put stuff, but I get it when people say like, okay, but how much time am I going to spend on these little things when someone else would just throw them all in the trash? Yes. It, it would be easier to just throw them in the trash. Yes. But it wouldn't be aligned with your values. As far as like creative stuff and craft supplies, just kind of multiplying and getting out of hand and, you know, being a creative person who says I could use this sometime. Yes, you could. Just check out those stories. Just take an extra step and go, yes, I could use this in the future. How long have I been telling myself that? What type of project in the future would I use this on? Like, let's just take that thought one or two steps further. Because you may bring yourself to either a really cool new idea that you find yourself getting going on soon. Or you may play out that story and go, you know what, I would never do something like that. So now I can get rid of this. So oftentimes what we do with the, I might need this someday, this could be useful someday. We slam the brakes right at that thought. I want you to go a couple steps further. 
what would the scenario be for me to actually use this? What types of things would I create that would incorporate the single onyx earring? Like just, at, just inquire a little bit more deeply and you may be surprised that you are brought to, this, to the solution. The other important thing to note is each person gets to decide what is clutter and what isn't. So if you love it, if you need it, if you use it, it's not clutter. Then it just comes to, do you have the space to house everything you love, need, or use? That is the only time that you may need to get rid of some things that aren't typically classified as clutter because you just simply don't have the space. You don't need more space. You need less stuff. So people will come to me and say, you know, oh God, I'm so scared you're going to make me get rid of all my books. And I'll be like, no, if you love your books and they don't cause you stress or angst, then they're not clutter. Keep them. So we each get to decide. There's no formula. You can only have five t-shirts and 10 books and there's no formula. It's completely up to you. So if you want a craft room full of supplies and it brings you joy, have at it. That's okay. great advice. And I just want to throw out there, if you're on Facebook and your city has a community page, often you can post there and they'll give you really good suggestions. Like I know a lot of elementary schools are looking for craft supplies for their art teachers and their yes. after school programs or like animal rescue sites are always looking for old towels. So mm -hmm. sometimes if you just post on your community page, like, hey, what can I do with, you know, 10 pounds of, of wire I was supposed to use to make this wreath? I bet you'll, you'll get a response. Or your local craft store, mine at least, um, AC Moore and Michaels, they have lists of organizations that take extra craft supplies. I think there's like Linus, the Linus Blanket something group, and they take old yarn. Mm. So there I are some that. good ways to do that, which, which I think is really fun. That's such a good point. There's so, I mean, I love that the whole resources of the Facebook group and asking people, because you're right. I mean, there's, there literally is always something for someone. You know, my father passed away a few years ago and he had, we had a lot of um, excess diabetes things, like whether they were test strips for his blood, sugar blood, whatever, all of those things. And I thought, you know what, I don't want to just throw this stuff away. And so I was able to find it. I just went online and said, where can I donate these supplies? And found an, an organization in Florida that mails them out to third world countries who need help with people with diabetes. And I thought dad would be thrilled with that. So boxed it up, sent it off. There is always some place that needs what you feel is either trash or you don't need anymore. There's always a resource out there. And you're right. Facebook groups are such a great place to get ideas. There's even a woman who collects used mascara wands. Really? And, yeah, and she cleanses them and then ships them off to bird rescue sites, and they use the mascara uh, ones to help get the oil out of, of the birds. Oh, my God, I love that so much. There's a comedian, <laughs> Bill Burr, and he has like a whole 10-minute routine on how he says, every single thing you've ever owned and thrown away is sitting on this earth somewhere. That sweatshirt you wore in middle school is somewhere. It's in a landfill or on a person's back, but it exists on this earth. And that thought like haunts yes. me. <laughs> it's so true, right? God, that's a powerful way to think of it, but it's so true. And that's why it's like, so the other way to really contain clutter is to be super mindful about buying new things. You know, it's like, do, do, is there, let's take advantage of the secondhand economy. 
let's, and I know which is difficult during a pandemic, um, but let's really think about, do I need this or am I looking to trigger the happy hormones just by buying something new? I mean, especially during this time, right? During lockdown, it's like you can order something and it's just, there's that Christmas morning feeling every time Amazon delivers another box. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, what did I, I don't even remember what I ordered. This is so exciting. But just being super mindful about our choices and what we purchase. You know, like what's my intention behind this purchase? Because you're right. Everything we have and stays on the earth somewhere. Well, I stopped buying hangers. Hmm. So that way, if I buy something new and I don't have a hanger for it, that's my clue. I've got to donate some stuff. Oh, nice. That kind of helps keep me focused on what I need and what I don't. Because I think you're right. We get that dopamine charge when we buy something Hmm. and it's not even anything we need. No, but you, it, um, did you get that? Can you tell listeners about your group, ClutterClearYourLife.com? Yeah, so I have an online membership community, ClutterClearYourLife.com, and so that's where all my trailblazers come together. And so this whole year, we've been doing this uh, Clutter Hotspot extravaganza. So every month, there's a different hotspot I'm having my members focus on. Like August was photos, September is going to be junk drawers and entryways. And yes, it's about clearing that spot. But it's more about what does that clutter represent in your life? What are the deeper messages that it's telling you? What beliefs are behind it? So that's just one thing we do in the membership community. I also do um, a monthly member Q&A where we all get on Zoom and they can ask me anything and everything. We do laser coaching, clutter readings. They want a tour of my tiny house. Like whatever it is, we jump on there every month and we have live uh, meetings there and then there's resources galore on there from past webinars that i've taught talking about weight as clutter because that's a whole different form of clutter is weight on our bodies a whole web a whole webinar on procrastination clarifying the vision for your life so there's just a ton of resources on there that people can dive into right away and then they get to interact with me personally for some live coaching um, and some clutter readings as well and your your website is full of resources as well uh, yes, HarryRichardson.com has, you know, blog. I mean, I write a newsletter every single week, so they're all archived on my blog on there. Um, there's video courses that I run. There's lots of lots of resources, lots of free resources on there and ways that we can dig deeper as well, group coaching. Yeah, just to really help people. Ideally, what I'm helping people, I'm helping what I call my trailblazers. I'm helping them just make space in their life for abundance to pour in. So what is what is your dream life? And then let's look at what's getting in your way from obtaining it. It's going to be beliefs that it's not possible. It might be that you you might have financial clutter. There might be debt that's holding you back. It could be weight on your body. It could be toxic relationships. We want to clean up that stuff so you can get to that end result, that, that vision you have for your life, that kind of party that's in progress and just waiting for you to arrive. I think finding that group support is so crucial for making these lifestyle changes. Yeah, there's, it's because there's, you know, especially with clutter, it feels so, it can feel so shaming and you can feel really alone, you know, so when I bring these groups together, they're always like, oh my gosh, it's so glad to know it's not just me. And I'm here to tell you and anyone who's listening, there is not a single person on this planet who does not have clutter. Trust every single one, whether it's emotional, mental, physical, we all have stuff that's in our way that we need to clear so we can step more fully into ourselves. It is nothing to be ashamed of. Think of it more as it's just a shoulder tap from your soul saying, hey, kiddo, there's stuff here to look at. Look a little bit more closely. Look a little bit more deeply. 
Um, so it's a beautiful invitation for introspection. I think it's Socrates who said, beware the barrenness of a busy life. Yeah. Don't you think that focus on, I got to get this done, I got to do this first before I get to what's really at the heart of it. We, mm-hmm. That's the ultimate procrastination, I think. Yeah, and that is, that's the scapegoat that we use. I, I can't do that until I do this. Then that tells me that whatever that is, is what you're really avoiding. And if you're avoiding it, you're never going to get this done. So we spend so much of our time fake busy. <laughs> you know, when we come to the end of the day and we're like, oh my God, I'm exhausted. I felt like I was so busy, but geez, I didn't really get anything done because you filled your day with fake busy. So I encourage people to like, look at, take a, just take a look, a snapshot of your last two or three days, look at how you spent your time and evaluate how much of that was aligned with the vision you have for your life. Well, everyone, please check out Carrie's work. You can find her at carrierichardson.com. We'll put links in the show notes and on our Facebook page. And don't forget her membership group, clutterclearyourlife.com. Carrie, this has been just absolutely a very invigorating and motivating hour. I really thank you all for listening to Carrie. You can check out her book, what your clutter is trying to tell you. And don't forget her new book coming up this winter, From Clutter to Clarity. Thank you so much, Carrie. Thank you. We hope you guys, you guys have all enjoyed listening to this. Don't forget, as always, to show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care. <laughs>